Well, the reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Matt. Let me just um, slide down the lectern mic now, otherwise I'll... Uh... Wonderful. Thank you very much. Um, good. Let's begin in prayer, shall we? Father, come speak to us through your words again. Come give us uh, direction. Come give us hope and life. Come show us how to live in response to uh, a God of such great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it feels uh, appropriate, I think, to start just by reflecting briefly on the the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Um, Over these past sort of 48, what, 72 hours is it now? Um, It's become clear just how much he sort of meant to us individually, collectively, on, on just so many different levels, really. And among the roles of wife and mother and monarch that she performed so steadfastly over her her life and her reign, it's been said that she was one of the world's most famous, famous and faithful Christian leaders. And um, I know that, yeah, as sort of supreme governor of the Church of England, that may sound a little bit obvious in a sense. Of course, she was a Christian leader. But I really feel that there's something more to it than that with her. And it's something that's just so incredibly relevant to this vision series that we're preaching on at the moment. So last week I spoke about the kind of the problem with the Christian faith being reduced from uh, something we, we think of as a lifestyle to something as uh, we think of as an identity. Um, you know, the New Testament doesn't talk very much about Christians. Um, you know, uh, Jesus didn't at all. Um, he talked about disciples. 
about followers, um, apprentices, as we might call them today. Um, and the writers of Acts and the, uh, the letters to the early churches talk about the community of those who practice the way of Jesus. And Queen Elizabeth exemplified this difference, I think, so clearly. Um, she was not content to be a sort of token figurehead of the faith, if that makes sense. She saw her calling as queen as inextricably bound up with her calling to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, consider these words that she spoke um, in her Christmas message uh, in 2000, back at the millennium. She said, for me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to live my life. I feel like that, that kind of says it all. Her faith was a framework for life built on the teachings of Jesus and her accountability before God. That's discipleship, isn't it? Seeking to live life with Jesus, like Jesus, for Jesus. And, uh, you know, in the, the weird world of the Church of England, I'm sorry, but it is a bit of a weird world. Um, one of the things that made it easy for me to kind of swear this oath of allegiance to Queen Elizabeth and her successors, footnote, in all things legal and honest, um, which all clergy do and a lot of other people have to in various roles. One of the things that made that possible was I knew I was committing to serve under someone who herself had committed to serve under the Lordship of Christ. And, you know, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus today, we've not lost um, just a queen um, or a leader. We've lost a beloved sister in Christ. So, um, as so many have said, we trust that she will rest in peace and rise in glory and that she will be hearing those words from her Lord and her Savior and our Lord and Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, last week, we took a, a first look at this passage from John 15. If you weren't here for that talk, um, you know, please do go back and listen to it. Um, everything, uh, I sorry, I should say, if you're a regular here and you're, you're sort of part of our church family, I know we may have visitors today. You're so welcome. I, I really hope that um, whatever's brought you here this morning, that, that this time will be a blessing to you. But if you're a regular part of uh, All Souls, if you missed that talk last week, please do go back and listen to it. Um, everything I'm going to say today is, is sort of built on that. You can do that through Facebook, through our SoundCloud is, is probably the easiest way to do that. Um, and we've actually linked it directly in the church news um, email that came out on, on Wednesday. So um, you can find that there. We're looking, we were looking at Jesus' mission to make disciples, not just simply converts and for his disciples his disciples to replicate that that was the mission of the church from the start to make disciples followers apprentices so a basic manifesto for the church our, our vision if you like is to be a place where people become disciples of jesus bearing fruit in our lives that brings glory to god that's verse 8 of john 15 that's what we looked at last week and we looked at this ancient concept of discipleship which kind of predates Jesus or even uh, first century Israel. Uh, the Hebrew word was, I don't know if you remember it, it was Talmudim. And people would disciple to a particular rabbi, which means a teacher, and become an apprentice under them. And with three primary goals in mind. One, be with your rabbi. Two, become like your rabbi. And three, do or, or copy what he did. And we said all the rabbis at that point were, were, were male. In fact, all the disciples up until Jesus were male. And that's something that Jesus changed. 
So from that, the role of a disciple of Jesus can be distilled down to basically those same three goals. One, to be with Jesus. Two, to become like Jesus. And three, to do what he did. And today we're looking at the first one of those uh, goals, be with Jesus. So this is something that we've talked about, um, about a bit over the last year or so. We've uh, seen this as the overarching theme of the Bible. However you understand the opening chapters of Genesis, the message is clear. At the start of the story, you have God with um, people. But the relationship is broken by humanity. You know, the Hebrew name uh, Adam means human. The uh, Hebrew name Eve, Eve means life. So Adam and Eve, literally human life, humanity chooses to live in God's world without him. And the relationship between God and people is broken. God is no longer able to be with us in the same way. And then at Christmas, we celebrate um, the birth of Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we talked about it at um, Pentecost when we marked the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church. God coming to be present among his people in a new, radically different way. So the story of the Bible is one of God taking the initiative to, to mend our relationship with him to create a way back for those who choose it to be with him again and the, the story is all wrapped up at the end with um, john having uh, a vision of heaven coming to earth god's presence once more with people so that's the story of the Bible. It's a, it's a key theme of this passage, which we're looking at over these four weeks. And one way of approaching a passage of scripture, um, if you ever sort of looked at a passage of scripture and wondered what is it all about, um, a, a good way to start is to look for repeated words or phrases. And in these eight verses from John 15, there's a word that occurs eight times. Um, you may have noticed it. It's the Greek word meno, and it means to remain, to abide, to stay to stay with, not move away. And amidst all the kind of uh, talk of fruitfulness and pruning, um, this is actually the only command that Jesus gives in this passage. This is the only guidance. He doesn't say, um, go and be fruitful. He says, remain in me, abide in me. Let me abide, remain in you, and you will be fruitful. So that's it. Remaining in him, that's the ball game. Back to the rabbi with his Talmudim, there was this ancient saying, um, a sort of ancient blessing, it's believed, which translates something along the lines of, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, which I think gave the sense of a disciple following their rabbi so closely that they kind of get covered with the dust that they kick up, or else um, it, it, it refers to sort of the idea of the disciple sitting constantly uh, at the feet of their rabbi, their teacher, learning. Either way, the point's the same. The disciples' blessing comes from their proximity to their teacher. And Jesus is simply saying the same thing here, using this illustration of branches having to remain in the vine. Now, quick note, it can sound alarming, I think, to hear this language of branches drying up, being gathered and burnt in the fire. You know, when I um, was younger, when I was growing up, that used to conjure for me up images of sort of fiery punishment if you don't bear enough fruit, um, sort of like a threat. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus was talking about. And we'll get into that more next week um, and about fruitfulness and becoming like Jesus next week. 
But the central point is this. In becoming a disciple of Jesus, which is a lifelong pursuit, it's not just a one-off moment, proximity is the ball game. To become like Jesus, you have to be with Jesus. Which raises a fairly obvious question, I think. How are you meant to be with Jesus when Jesus is no longer walking on the earth? Let's be honest, even if he were uh, walking around on earth today, how could we be with him when two billion people, and let's face it, probably uh, a whole lot more, were trying to do the same thing? That's a lot of people trying to catch one person's dust. Fortunately, the verses around John 15 are written to answer that question. So um, turn back, if, if you will, there, there are some Bibles on the ends of the pews. If you want to grab one, um, you can turn back and look at um, John 14. I think it's on page 1082. Somebody can shout out if I'm wrong with that. But it's 1082 in John 14. So as I said um, last week, these chapters, these chapters around John 15 are a record of Jesus's um, great farewell speech to his disciples. And he starts on that note. He tells them that he's about to leave them. He's going to leave them. Um, before he says that, actually, he says, now don't panic. You can trust me, but I'm going to leave you. But in his place, Jesus says in verse 16, so if you look at chapter 14, verse 16, he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. And the Greek word is broader, comforter, encourager, strengthener, counselor. Uh, some translations say another like me. To help you and to be with you forever the spirit of truth the spirit of jesus so what will this spirit of truth do verse 26 if you look ahead to verse 26 it says this the advocate the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything i have said to you so jesus is leaving them but the father is going to send another like him to be with them and to teach them and remind them of who Jesus is. And the Spirit will be everywhere. Just as at the start of Genesis, the Spirit hovers over the unformed creation, over the chaos, which means that anyone, anywhere, now has access to Jesus. It's an invitation to everyone. You don't have to live in Israel 2,000 years ago to encounter the living God. God is accessible everywhere. Now, this may sound a little bit crazy to you, but this is the testimony of Christians through the ages, including the late queen. You know, the most solemn moment of her coronation was, um, if you remember, we enacted this at Bacadar All-In Service to celebrate the Platinum Jubilee. Um, the moment where she was anointed with oil, this ancient symbol of the Holy Spirit coming to be with her as she took up this sacred calling to serve. So, and um, well done for staying with me through all of that. Therefore, Dallas Willard, quote, time, the first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit. I.e., we need to learn to keep God before our minds. How do we do that? Well, the key thing, I, I guess the change in mindset that we need, or at least the change in mindset that I needed, is that this is about a practice, not simply a decision. Um, you know, it'd be great, wouldn't it, if we could just decide to do something, um, or we wanted to do it, and then do it, just by willpower. You know, um, 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll eat less chocolate or drink less alcohol or I'll go to bed earlier or I'll not spend so much time on my phone or I'll not look at that stuff on the internet. I'll not resent my work or I won't be so anxious or I won't be so cross with the kids. Take your pick. Wouldn't it be great if we could just decide about bad stuff and it changed like that? Because that's not how it works, is it? Um, for most of us, at least. Uh, like John Ortberg says, who we were looking at this time last year, habit eats willpower for breakfast. And in the same way, living life with God with a, a sense of awareness of his presence is a matter of practice. In fact, the, uh, it's the subject of a very famous book written in the by a 17th century monk, Brother Lawrence, um, who talked about um, how he experienced God in the um, God's presence in the ordinary, the mundane, everyday tasks of life. Because being with God is not about being in church all the time or reading your Bible all the time. Those things are great and they are important. Um, but we come to church and we read scripture in order to live our lives with an awareness of God's presence with us. They are a means to that end. There's a famous saying um, that your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you are getting. Um, you know, your life habits are perfectly designed to give you the relationship with God that you have. And if your response to that is you don't have the relationship with God that you'd like to, then, well, first, join the club. Second, there's good news for you and me because there is a rich history of disciples of Jesus who have discovered what we call um, spiritual disciplines. Hang on to that term. I know it sounds a bit, um, I don't know what your response to that word is, but spiritual disciplines, habits and behaviors, which if practiced, form us in a way that opens us up to living in an awareness of God's presence with us. Where do these practices come from? You won't be surprised to hear that the answer, of course, is Jesus. You know, one of the most beautiful things about the incarnation is that in Jesus, God shows us how to have a relationship with him as a human. You know, Jesus modeled relationship for us with his father as, as one of us. What were these practices? Well, I'll show you a few that we get from the Gospels. Just a moment. Before I share these, just a brief sort of health warning. Um, I'm not listing these because A, I expect you to hear them and just go and do them. Um, that would miss the point of uh, what I've just been saying about habits as practices. Um, think of them as a curriculum for Christ-likeness. That's what Dallas Willard calls them, rather than a kind of a bar that's set, something we have to do right away. It's their, they're, they're things that we learn um, and grow into over a lifetime. And therefore, I'm not saying these because B, this is something you have to do to make God like you. Um, I'm just going to have to keep saying that because, you know, there's just something so deeply embedded in us as humans. However much we try to pretend it's not true that we feel the need to earn stuff and earn God's love, be worthy of it, which we don't. You know, it's probably got something to do with the brokenness of our human relationships, but it's not true of God. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you can't earn his favor also see don't think that i am a grandmaster in all of these things okay again this is really not how it works just go and ask my family okay but i am or have been working on most of them um to an extent um alongside friends actually that's a really key part of it for me 
So all that said, here are some of the practices of Jesus that we see in the Gospels that help him stay connected to his Father, um, the practices that help us to remain in the vine. So um, silence. Uh, see, I told you I hadn't mastered these. <laughs> Uh, silence, solitude, the practice of being alone, um, which doesn't mean, by the way, or at least for me, being alone with your phone. That doesn't count. <laughs> prayer, um, regular prayer in particular, points throughout the day. Fasting, um, denying ourselves something to orientate our minds towards God. Meditating on scripture, not just reading it, um, learning it, dwelling on it. Keeping Sabbath, 24 hours a week, set aside for rest, for worship, for enjoying God's goodness. Simplicity, you know, cutting back. Going on long walks. Jesus did a lot of that. I know they didn't have cars at the time and he had the occasional donkey, but he went for these long walks up mountains to go and pray. Community, you know, the heart of a Trinitarian God. It's community. And it was the community was the answer to the first problem in the Bible, right? It's not good for people to be alone. Now, that's not a definitive list. There's plenty more, but just a couple of observations about those things. First, you may be thinking, this all sounds like a lot of extra. But in many ways, it's actually about doing less. You know, the prevailing culture that we live in is more often than not one of chronic over-busyness and activity which means that the, the countercultural action that we take is to be still, to do less, to create margin in our lives, make room for God. You know, um, from the start, God, in his love for his creation, was not prepared to force himself upon it. He doesn't generally impose. You know, he was all about consent before it became a major cultural theme which means that we have to invite him into our lives. We have to make space. And the world isn't really set up for that at the moment, I feel, you know, particularly in the digital age. We've got this um, event, you'll see it on the term cards as you came in, um, in November on parenting in a digital age. You know, navigating the opportunities and challenges of the internet is not just an issue for children, is it? Another observation you may be looking at this list and thinking, well, hang on, I, I kind of recognize quite a few of those from the world we live in today, you know, particularly here in trendy West London. You know, values like simplicity, um, sparking joy. Who was that? Was it, it was Mar Marie Kondo? Was that right? Simpl yeah, sparking joy with simplicity, cutting down. Meditation, bringing peace. Those sort of ideas, some of these things seem quite mainstream, actually. Well, in a sense, that's not surprising, is it? Um, what I'm suggesting is that Jesus, this itinerant rabbi who wandered the earth 2,000 years ago in some fairly obscure corners of the Middle East, was God incarnate and therefore actually taught us the most profound, incredible wisdom that the world has known. So it shouldn't be surprising to discover that so much of what he taught about um, thankfulness, for example, or forgiveness, or life and health and peace has been kind of rediscovered in the 20 and 21st century disciplines, there's that word again, of psychology and sociology. Now, who knew that practicing Jesus' way is actually good for your physical, mental, and spiritual health? As if the author of life 
knew a thing or two about well-being. He knows he cares because he loves you. And he knows and cares and he loves the people around us. You know, who so often we want to love, but we come up short, don't we? Remain, abide, dwell in me, says Jesus, and you will bear good fruit. By abiding in him, we will become who we strive to be. We will become more the people that our friends and our families and colleagues need us to be. We will become who the, 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 what the world needs the church to be. Who God is calling us to be. People who spend time with Jesus will become like Jesus. That's how it works. A couple of quotes to finish. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action that we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. Again, that's Dallas Willard, who is a kind of prophet of our time, I think. Second, this is a, a, isn't a quote as much as a book title by Eugene Peterson, who uh, you may know is the man who wrote the Message translation of the Bible. He wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I really like that as an image of discipleship to Jesus. You know, some of you out there, have, has any run marathons? Has anyone run a marathon? Some, some of you. Okay, some of you have run marathons. Um, or trained to do something impressive. I don't know, um, you know, rode the Atlantic or climbed Everest or tried to get your children to pee in the toilet. Um, not around it. You get this. This is about training, not trying. So remember, this is a, a vision series. The context of what I'm saying here, this is a vision series. So this isn't go out and do this all today or tomorrow. Um, where's this list? There we go. This is um, about some of where we're going to go, I think, in the months and years ahead. This, isn't, uh, this is a, a list of things that we'll probably start talking about in more detail in the new year. There are a few reasons that we'll be waiting till then. But if you're looking for something to do this week, if you're looking for some homework, why not pick one? One of these, either a familiar one or one that you've never tried before. Um, take one off the list that you fancy trying and just see what difference it makes to your relationship with God this week. Put alarm on your phone and pray for five minutes at the same time each day. Um, or turn your phone off. I mean, properly off, off for an hour each day. Carve out 24 hours if you can, where you just down tools completely. Do without something for 24 hours. You know, whenever you crave it, focus on God. Go and have a, a play with one of these spiritual disciplines. And remember, uh, whatever you do, the goal is what? It's to remain, it's to abide, it's to dwell in him. So goal number one, be with Jesus. And come back uh, next week for goals number two and three. But let's pray.